This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at CosmicPotato.com. In a world without a single unified voice, humanity has been left searching for answers to the unknown. Now, one podcast has the power to change that and to spread its voice across the earth for all mankind to hear. Welcome to Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 31 of Cosmic Potato Super Fan Talk Podcast. My name is Sean Ray. Sitting across the virtual table from me is John Iron. Say hi, John. Hi, John. <laughs> and uh, we also have a special guest here today from in the virtual studio from Simply Syndicated's Movie News and next time the comic book television prediction podcast is Scott Madison. Scott, welcome to Cosmic Potato. I'm eating a milkshake. <laughs> a, a wonderful non sequitur that also happens to be the truth. I'm, I'm hey, finishing nothing, up the... nothing better to do on a hot summer day. Right. And, and, and John, I, I found out this morning that uh, today actually marks the one-year anniversary of our first episode. Oh, that's good, because I was going to make um, a made-up superstition about lucky number 31. So, yeah, that works. <laughs> Am I on an anniversary show? Uh, you you are, apparently. Awesome. <laughs> I guess that's la- outstanding. I guess last episode would have been the one that we said, this is our 30th episode, but, it just, but you know, now episode 31, so. Eh, but one year, <laughs> you know. That's a distinctive but, tradition. I like it. But we've got uh, episode. <laughs> we got several things that we're going to talk about in this episode. Uh, some of the movies and TV shows that we'll talk about, we've all seen a couple of them. Only a couple of us have seen, so we'll, you know, we'll spend more time on some of them than others. But one thing that we all wanted to talk about is Star Trek <clears throat> Beyond. And since it's been out for a couple weeks, we've all seen it. I'm going to go ahead and give out a spoiler alert. So if you haven't seen Star Trek Beyond, and you don't want to be spoiled, then you should either not listen to this episode yet or fast forward until you don't hear us talking about it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I detect a flaw in your plan. Well, a couple episodes back, we did a Ghostbusters-centered episode, and I had one of the guys from Alabama Ghostbusters come on. And in my mind, I thought, well, we're going to talk about Ghostbusters for you know about 30 minutes, and then we're going to start talking about something else. Well, we ended up talking about Ghostbusters for two hours. And I had given a spoiler alert at the beginning, and I said, fast forward for the next 20 or 30 minutes so you won't be spoiled. And then we talked about it for the whole show. So so from now on, I'm just going to just fast forward until you don't hear us talking about it anymore. And <laughs> So when the, when the show's recorded, like, 
you know, find exactly where on the time marker do we stop talking about uh, Star Trek and and then you're opening. Um, you know, if you don't want to hear any spoilers, start playing here. Yeah, I'll get a little uh, electronic computer voice that says, please fast forward approximately, you know, 20 minutes <laughs> or something like that. So, Please advance approximately 37 minutes to avoid spoilers. Okay, so Star Trek Beyond. So I've said before that I think this film is the best of the three that we've gotten since the 09 reboot. I felt like this movie, it felt more like I was watching Star Trek than especially the last one. You know, the first one had more of a Star Wars feel to it, and the second one mm. didn't really know what it wanted to be, <laughs> you know. But, uh so I went into this, and one thing that I liked was that I didn't know what the plot was. You know, the trailers didn't really tell us what the movie was going to be about. I just knew, it's a Star Trek movie, I'm going to go in, I'm, I'm going to watch it. And hopefully I'll enjoy it. And I ended up really liking this movie. What about you guys? Just I, in, just overall, what, what, what did you think of it, Scott? Well, I have to agree with your assessment that um, of the new uh, trilogy, uh, it stands out as the best. <clears throat> um, I also agree with the, the first one being more Star Wars than, than Star Trek. It was definitely an action movie in space that uh, some would say adapted, some would say co-opted the uh, original characters and setting. Um, the, and the second one, big mess. They <laughs> wanted... The, the second movie, I think they designed it to reach out to the original Star Trek fans that were alienated by the 2009 film and say, no, come on, come back to us. Love us. Give us a second chance and you won't be disappointed. Look, we've got this thing that you liked and then they put Khan in the movie, yeah. but they totally ruined it. So everyone who loved the original Star Trek and were lukewarm on the first one and wanted to like it, they go to the second one and they're offended because of what they did with Khan and the Khan story. So they had a lot of ground to regain in this third one, and I think they they really did nail it. It's not a perfect movie. It doesn't stand up against the best of Trek that we've ever gotten, but in this new style of Trek, it's hands down the closest that they've come to capturing what made Trek Trek. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it also. Um, I think I'm a bigger fan of uh, the second one than it sounds like either of you two are. Um, I didn't have... For me, I give you a lot of slack um, for for reboots and, and alternate timelines. Once you tell me you're in another dimension, you're in a parallel universe, then you get... You know, I'll, I'll give you a lot of leeway. So um, bringing in Khan the way they did didn't bother me as much as it bothered a lot of people, although I do understand why it would, why it did. Um, as as far as uh, this movie, um, I liked it. I, I guess it was the best of the three, but again, I, I'd, I'd say they're all... I'd, I'd give them all pretty much a B-. minus. Um, this one maybe get a, get an A minus. Uh, so yeah, I guess I would say I liked it the best. Um, I, I love the character development, um, the interactions between um, uh, Bones and Spock, particularly. Yeah, might have been my favorite part of the movie. Um, <laughs> love the uh, callback to uh, the Beastie Boys. That was nice. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was it was a very enjoyable ride, and you can definitely. Feel the uh, 
feel the presence of the uh, Fast and Furious franchise um, from the director. In, yeah. In this. Yeah. Let me let me kind of clarify what I was saying about Star Trek in the Darkness because I I didn't hate that movie and I w- I did not really have a huge problem with Khan other than the fact that they changed his ethnicity and just because of the events in the first Star Trek movie that would change his ethnicity, <laughs> you know, but, um, the problem that I had was the, the way that they mirrored the, the Spock death scene at the end of Star Trek two, and they turned it around and made it Kirk. And, and it wasn't so much that they did that. It was the fact that it was supposed to have the same gravity as the original death scene. And in the original death scene, we're seeing two guys that are basically brothers and they've been serving together for decades, a couple, you know, like at least 15 to 20 years. Yeah. And in the, in, in Star Trek into darkness, we're looking at two guys that have only known each other for a couple of years, you know, and they really didn't like each other, <laughs> much less were they brothers, you know, but it, it just, it didn't have the gravity that they were trying to portray. And that's the main thing that I didn't like about uh, Into Darkness. It wasn't it wasn't Khan, even though you know, I, like I said, I did have a problem with him suddenly being a British white guy when he should have been a Spaniard. But <laughs> <laughs> well, to to clarify, the original actor was a Spaniard. The original character was Indian. True. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. <clears throat> and and this new one was neither of those two by a long shot. Yeah. <laughs> um one of my biggest uh, gripes with um Khan in Into Darkness was uh, his introduction because uh when there and I, I can't remember if I uh, talked with um if I talked with you about this Sean uh, on the Prime Direction or not, but uh uh when he's in the holding cell in the brig and he finally shares with Kirk and uh, McCoy and Spock his real name. And he says it in such a way that apparently the characters who have never heard of this guy before and uh, the audience, some of whom are going to be uh, new to Star Trek and not familiar with Space Seed or the Wrath of Khan. Yeah. He says his name and the, the way um, Abrams presented it and framed it and filmed it, it's supposed to be a, big impact for everyone in theater when in fact it's only so it's only gonna maybe be an impact for the fans of the original series and wrath of khan who know who he is all of whom knew that that's who he was in the first place because they were not able to keep that secret jj abrams kept lying to us to our faces and saying it's not khan no it's not khan this is uh, John, what's his name? It's not khan and then you go look at imdb like the entire week before the film opens Benedict Cumberbatch, John Harrison slash Khan. <laughs> yeah. Well, cat's cat's kind of out of the bag on that one, so we know that's going to be Khan. But the characters yeah. don't know who he is, so to say it in in such a revelatory way, I really wanted the cameras to cut back to um, Kirk and the other two, and him just kind of look back and forth at each other. Who? Man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as um, as Sean knows, I, I am um, I am uh, rabid about <laughs> about not getting spoiled. So um, I, in fact, didn't know that it was going to be Khan when when uh, when I sat down to watch the movie. So I, I, I got I'm, I'm one of the uh, 
um, lucky percentage that that actually got the surprise that they intended to give me. Yeah, and, and I don't and remember we're familiar seeing... with who the character was in the first place. Yeah, right. I don't remember I, and, seeing I that. Envy on you. A... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I just I envy John because he has more strength than I would have had to avoid the spoilers for that movie. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't remember <laughs> seeing it on uh, IMDb. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure they did. I, I don't remember seeing that, but I remember when I went to see the film that I had a pretty good feeling that that's what they were doing, and so when it was revealed. I wasn't really surprised. I was just like, okay, yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> but, but anyway, so Star Trek, but Star Trek Beyond is the, the new film. And like I was saying, uh, they didn't put a whole lot of stuff in the trailer that would lead you to actually know what the movie was about. You know, they had that one trailer that had the Beastie Boys song on there that made it look like it was just going to be a all out action film. And then they went back and made an- another trailer after that. Uh, that showed more of the the slower part of the of the movie, but then mm-hmm. um, so when I went in, you know, a lot of times when you go into a, a movie like this, you've already seen the funniest jokes in the trailer, uh, you know, basically what the movie's going to be about. I didn't know anything; I just knew it was a Star Trek movie, so I liked that part. And it's it's very rare these days that you go into a movie and you really don't know what the movie's going to be about, but I was not expecting to see the Enterprise get destroyed in this movie. I thought, yeah. I thought that, well, that sequence, I mean, I thought that sequence was amazing, but Simon Pegg was one of the head writers on the movie. And I, I read an article later that said that he didn't want to do that just because they had done all the con stuff in the second movie and kind of mirrored Star Trek 2. Well, we don't want to go and turn around and destroy the Enterprise in the third movie just like we did Star Trek 3, you know. Uh, but the studio was like, well, our last two movies have been on the ship for large chunks of the movie. We want to get these characters off the ship and get them stranded on a planet and separated and all that kind of stuff. So we want to destroy the ship. But the, the sequence looked amazing. Uh, what'd you guys think of the destruction of the Enterprise? Go ahead, John. Um, yeah, I agree. I thought it was great. Uh, but I also agree that I'm like, man, they, do they, <laughs> like, once again, it's kind of, it's kind of like, uh, blowing up X-Mansion in, yeah. in X-Men. It's like, you just kind of have to do it every movie now. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I love, I want to also, I like appreciate when the crew comes up against something that they are just completely unprepared for and just, you know, and they have to really, 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 really work to, uh, to defeat the enemy. So that, yeah, so they, you know, they get, uh, spoiler, they get, lured, <laughs> they get lured, they get lured into the trap and the, and you know, the ship gets, um, you know, just utterly decimated. Yeah. Literally decimated. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, they get stranded on the planet and they really have no clue as to what's going on for a good chunk of the movie. You know, they, they're completely caught off guard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I liked that. Um, and I also like that they, you know, the separate, uh, the separate little teams had to each do their part to get back to the, the crewmates and, and they each had a little piece of information to uh to to uh that they that they would need in the end. Um 
yeah, I I I, I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed the pacing, and yeah, the action sequences are great. Lots of sci-fi toys. Well done. <laughs> I thought that the uh, when they started to get into their pods and and they called them Kelvin pods, I thought that was that was a good callback to the original uh, the first film. The fact that they didn't have life pods in the bridge, I think that was something that they said that they, they didn't have life pods in the bridge. So now that they do. They actually call them Kelvin pods. <laughs> All right. Because the, the ship was called the Kelvin, you know. So. Yeah. Go ahead, Scott. Um, let's see. The uh, Enterprise being destroyed. It was uh, it was sad to see for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's always sad to see the Enterprise be destroyed because, you know, that's the Enterprise. Yeah. We love that ship. Even though we haven't had as much time to get to know this one as we did with the um, original it's always sad to see an Enterprise go. Um, uh, Star Trek Three, Star Trek Generations, and and now here. Um, it it always makes me kind of uh, raise an eyebrow, though, in the new films, just to see the incredible amount of damage that gets meted out against the Enterprise in every film. Yeah. And you have to you have to wonder to yourself in the in the first two, especially in Into Darkness, how the ship actually survived at all. What what it went through in that film, uh, and then only to see it uh, handily torn apart in this one. Um, it it always makes me slightly uncomfortable to see the heroes in any movie. Uh, so in this, it would be the Enterprise and her crew to be so incredibly outmatched so early. Enemy comes in and just—it's it, like they have no defenses whatsoever. The enemy just waves a hand and boom, the ship is done. And it's—it's it's frustrating to see our heroes be so um, uh, unprepared and ill-equipped. Um, but then at the same time, I was annoyed that they would destroy the Enterprise so early in the film, uh, and. I think they could have made it more of an event because yes, we've only had three movies with this enterprise, but it is still the enterprise. It is as much a character. Well, it should be as much a character yeah. in any star Trek story as any of the, uh, of the actors. So to see it destroyed so quickly and with a little bit of, uh, of uh, care and attention paid to the passing of the ship, I think they could have done more. They could have made that, a, a sad moment in the film to rival any other sad moment in the film. And I felt they didn't quite take full advantage of it. Um, but as far as visually, incredibly well done. It, it was it was stunning. I didn't expect to see it torn apart. From the trailers, I figured that the ship was going to go down from things that we had seen in the trailer. I didn't expect it was going to go down in pieces. I thought it was going to somehow uh, hit the surface, survive, and then they would be able to either get the ship back up and running and find a way to launch it. Or when I saw the, um, the, the ship, what turns out to be the Franklin, mm-hmm. uh, you know, leaving orbit and in space, I thought they were going to do like a, a flight of the Phoenix thing and find a way to, um, fasten the nacelles to the surviving saucer section and just fly part of the enterprise yeah. off the surface. Turns out that's not what happened. Um, but I, I I liked how they did get off the surface, so I was I was okay with that at least. 
Yeah, that was the getting off the surface was the one of the things that I had a question about because like this ship has been crashed, the Franklin has been crashed for over a hundred years, and and they have no problem just cranking it up and <laughs> and taking yeah, off I, with it, you know. Yeah, I, not, not uh, to say there there were no issues with how they got off the planet, but I to to say it was an older ship that they found, and it just happens to look exactly like the NX01. So fans yeah. of Enterprise, you're going to dig that. Um, you know, that I was a fan of to say after all these decades, perhaps centuries it's been here and it still flies just fine. Well, I don't know about that. Maybe give us some further explanation for why the thing is still space worthy. And also don't throw it off the cliff and then have it drop out of sight and cut the music at the same moment. Yeah. Like we're going to wonder, Oh, are, are they, are, are, are they going to make it? That was a Justin Lin move. Yeah. <laughs> the movie, the movie did, they, did they crash? Oh. Yeah, I I agree. I, I much would have preferred um, because I I for the most part I thought the direction of this film was uh, was great. Like the the action sequences, um, I, I, especially the firefights, um, like the set pieces, I thought were done well. Um, I had a bit of a problem uh, with the um, you know. I'm, the close hand to hand shaky cam, especially like with so much of it being filmed um, in darkness. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't really follow the action as well as I would like to. And then, okay, they're fighting, and I guess eventually the bad guy will win or the good guy will win, and then I'll see what's happening again. Um, but that's, you know, it's more of a pet peeve kind of thing. I completely agree with you. I liked them pushing the ship off the cliff. But yeah, going down underneath. Well, hey, will it fly? And then zooming up over the rib, like, come on, how many times have we seen that? That was <laughs> that was unnecessary. Uh, how, how, whatever the number of times is that we've seen it, subtract one, and that's how many times we've seen it too often. Because it only works once. <laughs> right. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I think didn't they do it in a previous Star Trek? Didn't they do it in like the first one? Um, it was in in the second one. They uh, uh, as they were falling towards Earth, but then right. they were able to to rise up again and break cloud cover. Yeah, through the so, clouds. So yeah, we see the Enterprise come up out of the clouds with the big music swell, and you know, okay, that was nice. I, I was not um, you know anxious about it. I knew they were going to make it, but the fact <laughs> that it it breaks the clouds and with that Michael Giacchino score. That I, I'll, I'll go with that because anytime you want to hit a big, powerful cinematic moment with his Star Trek theme, then it's a winner because I love his scoring of these films. Yeah, I liked all the I liked most of the uh, the scenes on the planet because they felt more like more like TOS than anything that I had seen, and especially in the last film because. Even like the scenes with uh, with Spock and, and and McCoy, the rock formations that were around them, you know, all that stuff was 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 telling me, you know, TOS. Their their uniforms in this movie looked a lot more like the original uniforms. They didn't have the little Delta shields all over them like they did in the last uh, couple of films. Yeah, those tessellating uh, deltas. Yeah, that, that, that's too much. <laughs> the one problem I had was Spock. Now, Zachary Quinto did as good, if not a better job as Spock in this film as he did in the last two. Every movie, he gets a little bit better. But his wig looked terrible in this movie. 
it didn't look it didn't look I don't know, it just didn't look like Spock. His his hair almost looked like it was made of plastic. <laughs> you know, this this is not the first podcast that I've heard make mention of um uh Quinto's wig and how it didn't look good in the film. I don't know what it is about me, but I things like that, details like that, I don't always notice. And especially when it comes to wigs, I there, there must be something wrong with with my eyes and the way that I perceive hair because I for for the longest time I didn't understand Michael Shat or William Shatner to pay jokes <laughs> because I didn't I didn't know it was a wig I just figured okay well yeah, yeah as he got older from from uh, his from the sixties when he was doing TOS to the eighties when he was doing the movies. Uh, he's doing his hair differently or something because it, it looks darker and it looks uh, curlier and less straight. But hey, whatever whatever a man wants to do with his hair, it's the 80s. You know, <laughs> let him do what he wants because I didn't realize that it was fake. And every joke about it, I was like, what is, is he wearing? My, my parents had to break it to me. He's like, yeah, that's a wig. <laughs> and everyone knows it. And apparently it's a bad one. As I can't tell from bad wigs. So who knows? Yeah. Well, I mean, in the last two movies, I thought his hair looked fine. He looked like Spock, a young Spock. But this time, his it just didn't look right. It looked like he was wearing a wig, and it, and it hasn't before. So it just it kind of took me out a little bit, but not enough to where it was terrible or anything like that. But yeah, I noticed, I just, but I I let it go. Yeah. <laughs> But, I might have been I might have been too distracted by Chris Pine's hair, which is growing ever longer with each successive Star Trek film. By the time they get to Star Trek Five, uh, he's his hair is going to look like Carol Marcus from Into Darkness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'll have a just, cur- he'll have a curly perm before too long. I'm sure. <laughs> it just keeps on getting longer. Um, now I, I wonder if part of it had to do with the fact that you know he he needed it at a certain length for for other work. I, I noticed that his hair in Wonder Woman looks almost identical to his um, uh, Star Trek Beyond hair. Yeah, I liked uh, I like Jayla. Uh, she's, she's played by so- Sophia Butella, and if you've ever seen Kingsman the Secret Service, she's the one that's got the blades for the legs. She's in that movie. Yeah, but, and um, I would, I would not have called that if someone didn't tell me about it. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I had to look it up, cause when I saw her, which she just covered in makeup in Star Trek, but I knew I recognized her face from somewhere, but I couldn't place it. So I looked it up, and yeah, Kingsman the Secret Service, and I saw that film not too long ago, but I thought it was, uh, it, it kind of made me laugh because obviously they wanted a Katniss character, like Katniss Everdeen from the Hunger Games. <laughs> and then they almost named her J-Law. <laughs> you know, her name is Jayla. <laughs> and and she's kind of the Katniss character. So that kind of makes me, made me laugh a little bit. But um, the other couple of things that – there were a couple of things that I didn't like. And I mentioned Spock's hair. But uh, Idris Elba did a good job. As the villain that, what was his name? I can't remember his name. Um, Crawl. Okay. Uh, the villain is always the hardest part to get around in a Trek movie because the series doesn't work off of the classic hero-villain trope that they do in action films. And so the villains in the show are not like the villains that there are in, in, a, in a typical movie. And sometimes it works, like in Wrath of Khan. And sometimes it doesn't, like in the Final Frontier, <laughs> you know. But this one is is kind of hard because the the actor that played him was really good, but I didn't really get his motivation. 
Yeah, we had the same. I, I saw it with my wife, and we had the same um, criticism. Yeah, I mean, I understand. Yeah. He, he was supposed to be a member of Mako, which if you've ever seen Star Trek Enterprise, which we all have, Mako is kind of what the fa- what the Federation came from. It was like an army uh, back in those days, and he was part of that into becoming the Federation, and he didn't like what the Federation was. He wanted to be what Mako was. But then they also had the whole thing of he can suck the life out of people and become younger, and that wasn't really explained. He just kind of did it. You know, he could he could do it. He he said in the log entry, <laughs> I found this and I can do this now. You know, so he just does it. But mm-hmm. but you know, and he kind of he he said a couple of times that he felt like he was abandoned by the Federation and all that kind of stuff. But I just didn't get the motivation of him to become so insane that he becomes this huge villain that that they were trying to make him make him into. <laughs> Well, this is how um, I justified it in my mind <laughs> because the film because the film didn't do it for me. Here's how I, here's how I justified it. Um, so they crash landed. They can't they can't get off the planet. Although it's kind of a bit of a Gilligan's Island thing. Like you've got these ships, yeah, you can fly around. Why can't you leave exactly? Sco- but Scotty whatever. did it. Scotty did it in an hour and a half. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so they find the alien technology. Um, he didn't ever really want to be Starfleet. He just, he wanted to be a soldier. Okay, fine. And we, he was there, what are we saying? About a hundred something years? Yeah. Okay, so he went crazy. I can, that's always like a, I won't say legitimate, but acceptable. Anybody, if they spend enough time isolated, um, and you go crazy, sure, fine. You went crazy. And that's your motivation. It's not particularly compelling. It's kind of lazy, but it allows me to accept the rest of <laughs> the rest of what you're telling me. And it's the justification as, wild card. It, it'll, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it can turn a, a three of a kind into into a four of a kind, and <laughs> and there you go, you win. It just it just barely completes your hand. Um, and they they, they pulled it on the river. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that, and, and as far as the same with the alien technology thing, although, yeah, I really, I, I actually even had to let that one go at a certain point because even that didn't, okay, fine. He's got this ability. So do they all have that ability? What was, was his crew in this movie? Were the people following him in this movie, the same original crew that he landed with? Are they aliens that he has become the leader of? Yeah, see, they never they never said one way or the other, so you just don't know. I just yeah, don't I, know. See, yeah. And at first, I thought that he was the only one who actually survived. I thought that he was last from the crew, and he, he may and I, and I still don't know that that's not the case. My my initial thinking was he survived. Um, and learned to survive by adapting the alien technology to do this life-sucking thing. And the rest of the crew died. But at the end, it occurred to me that may, that may have been the... I just... I don't know. I don't know. Fortunately, the plot didn't need that, but, you know, it would have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I get the feeling that um, uh, it, it will probably become clearer to me uh, the next time I see it, which will probably not be until it's released on Blu-ray, but um, 
it really felt like reviewing his log entries from uh, from the Franklin. That's where they dropped a lot of his motivation. A lot of the answers for some of these questions about his motivation were going to be dropped in there, but in the form of like a single sentence that with the audio distortion and with his performance, if you don't catch what he says in that one sentence, then there's a big chunk of motivation lost until you can go back and watch it again. Yeah. Um, that's something that happens in, in several movies. I think it seems to happen more in, uh, in modern movies, uh, than it did like say in the movies of the eighties or nineties, they would make sure to spoon feed every story element to audiences, unless it was a bad movie. They didn't care about plot. If they wanted to care about plot, then they would make sure that everyone understood. Uh, but lately it seems like, well, it's technically in the script, an explanation for this. And as long as it's in there somewhere, then we're covered. But then like 90% of the people that I talk to will miss little things like that. And if I caught it, I'll be like, no, this happened. They'll be like, that's not true. Yes, it is. (laughs) If you listen close, you'll hear that one thing. And and there you have your answer. Yeah. The, The other thing that I didn't like was the motorcycle scene. And it wasn't because of the, the, the action that happened in the scene. It was because it didn't make sense to me for there to be a motorcycle there in the first place. I mean, and it works perfectly. Well, if it works perfectly, then why wasn't Jayla using it all the time? You know, it was in, it was on her ship, her, her house or whatever. She was too busy fixing the radio. Yeah. She didn't have time to learn yeah. how to drive a motorcycle. And, and it's loud. Motorcycles are loud. She had to sneak around. Yeah, that's true. But I, I I get tired of these uh, trick transporter shots. You know, Kirk materializes driving the motorcycle at full speed. Where was he driving to get full speed on the transporter pad when they beamed him out in the first place? You know, it, it looks cool, but it didn't really make any sense to me. Yeah, they they <laughs> could not justify that. From a technical standpoint, they couldn't justify it, so they just did it anyway Yeah, <laughs> without showing us. They didn't show us the beam out. But they showed us the beam in because that they can just go with. They don't have to explain it necessarily. I'm, I, I interpreted that differently. I didn't think that he materialized driving top speed. I thought that he just burst through the little hologram barrier. So it looked like he materialized, but in fact he was just going from invisible to visible. That's what I thought. I'd have to watch it again because it looked like the transporter effect to me. Yeah, that, that would require looking at the special effects one more time to see which effect did they use. Right. Um, I was go ahead. I was pretty sure most of the people that I've talked to have thought that it was a transporter, which makes me think that that's the effect that they use. But perhaps everyone I've talked to just wanted something to complain about in regards to that motorcycle, which <laughs> everyone seems to be saying the same thing. Why do they have a motorcycle on that ship? Why are they going to bring that along with them? <laughs> well, I get that maybe the captain of the ship or somebody on the ship just had a motorcycle, but if it was true, it would be in storage somewhere. It wouldn't be sitting on the bridge. (laughs) Well, she took it out because she likes it. I guess, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes if if the radio's not working, then she'll just turn on the bike and rev the engine a little bit, and she'll get the the loudness that way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like like the beats and the shouting. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I did love the references to Enterprise and, you know, they they said something about the Zindi and they talked about the Mako. That might have been my favorite part of the movie was when he name dropped the Zindi. Yeah, because because Enterprise would still have happened even with the events of the first uh, Mm -hmm. movie. You know, Enterprise would have still happened because it happened all before that. And so I like that. And there's also some references to TOS. You know, Kirk makes this uh, comment 
during his captain's log at the beginning that his <laughs> the things are starting to become a little episodic, you know. Yeah. And then nice. uh, Scotty made a comment later on. He said something about a giant green hand in space, you know, which makes me think that some of their classic adventures from the series are are still happening the way they originally did, you know. But so I so I liked the little little things like that. Mm-hmm. I got excited uh, in regards to um, references to Trek's past um, just before the film. Um, I think I I talked about this, I think, on the bonus episode of Next Time that I did, which, oh, hasn't been released yet. Oop. There, there was an audio <laughs> kerfuffle. Spoiler! Um, <laughs> there, there, was an, there was an audio mix-up, so I still haven't been able to finish editing that one. But um, uh, before the film, I don't know if you guys got this, um, when you went to go see beyond did you get a message from simon Pegg at the beginning of the movie thanking you for coming to the theater and watching the movie instead of pirating it not the one that i no. saw but i but i have heard other people say that they saw that yeah okay i, I might have told you about it i'm not sure um but uh it, during that message simon Pegg is wearing a t-shirt that has the logo for makos on the front of it so I barely heard what it was that he was saying because I just kept staring at it and saying, holy cow, are we going to get Makos in this movie? It's going to be awesome. <laughs> um, which, of course, we didn't because Makos have been phased out by that point. Um, but it was another reference to Enterprise that I really enjoyed. And when they folded that into um, Edison's uh, motivations, uh, that I liked as well. It allowed him to name drop the Zindi. And that was my favorite season of Enterprise was season three. Um, to know that he used to be a Mako, which we saw in Enterprise, and when Starfleet and the Makos were both folded into the Federation when that was formed uh, at the end of Enterprise, um, and they took—I know this is one of those quick, you know, you know, blink your ears and you miss it um, explanations—but when the Federation was formed. They pulled from the Makos, especially uh, command staff from the Makos, and they transferred them to starships and made them captains, which is how Edison got his uh, captaincy of the Franklin. Is oh, you did a good job leading these soldiers. How about you lead this ship? Yeah. Which which was not his speed, and that's not something that he wanted to do. So when the ship was uh, marooned on that planet, that made him all the more upset. Said I wasn't supposed to do this job. I'm a soldier. I'm supposed to go and fight guys. Now you have me out exploring. This is exploring is not what I do. And now I'm lost, and you're not coming to find us. Well, as soon as I get the chance, I'm just going to take you guys all down because you're you're treating people poorly, like you did with me. And and this is what comes of it. And that I think was what fed into his wanting to revenge himself against the Federation. Um, and. Even that, even though it's not the most expansive backstory, it was it, it was explained just well enough, and it was uh, emotional enough that I considered Edison to be a more well realized villain than most of the villains that we get in, for example, the Avengers movies. Those are flat two dimensional villains that you get in those movies that you have no investment in. Yeah, but this guy. Even though they waited till pretty late in the movie to give us his motivation, once they did, I absolutely understood where he was coming from, and he had my full attention for the rest of the movie because of it. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that's that's all I've got to say about Star Trek. If you guys have anything else to say before we move on to something else, one more question. Okay. 
Um, did he like shape shift at the end? Like how? <laughs> how did he I, get his mostly human face back? Did they? I, that's my, going the pot. They my never theory. My theory on this is that um, his power that he uses to suck the life out of people, um, he kind of takes on the form of the race of people that he's pulling from. So he looked alien because he was using mostly aliens to suck the life out of. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, I I, I go I go with that one as well because you, we noticed from the first time that he was uh, draining people he he looked very alien when he was first talking with Uhura, right? And then in front of her eyes he draws from two Enterprise crew members, and then when when we see him after um, a lot of his um, alien head ridges and um, and facial spikes were uh, much. Uh, much smaller, and they had smoothed away quite a bit. Okay, which that makes at, sense. I, I at, at first, I thought, is that like a de aging thing? Is that what that is that what his alien race looks like when they're younger? But then later on, after he's fed off of several Enterprise crew members, after um, uh, the Franklin went down, then he looked, you know, almost, and, and uh, he looked human enough to pass. Because now, now that he is feeding off of humans, he's returning to his original uh, human appearance. Um, there was there was one other um, possible explanation, and I I already lost it. I, I knew I had two theories, but I've already forgotten the other one. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I'll buy that. All right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about Suicide Squad, but this is going to be uh, spoiler-free because John hasn't had a chance to see it yet. So, um, I want if I were a critic, which I guess I kind of am because I've got a podcast, but <laughs> yeah, well, that's fine. Yeah, I'd give you have access to the internet, so you're officially a critic. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more critics these days than there <laughs> there used to be, but I think I'd give this movie three out of five stars. Um, if I had to give it a letter grade, I'd probably say, you know, B minus. But it was a decent movie. It was entertaining. It had some confusing threads at times, and it sometimes it kind of felt like it didn't really know what it wanted to be. But it took it takes a while for the movie to get started. It's like there's a lot of setup at the very beginning, and the second half of the movie feels like a different movie than the first half you know i don't i don't want to reveal who the story's main villain is because i think they get did a good job of not showing it in the trailers but the special effects surrounding those characters look kind of bad to me they look like cutscenes out of a video game <laughs> but <laughs> but the uh the pluses i'll give it margot robbie was awesome as harley quinn you know, I, I I think that she was very true to that character, even though she was a little less dressed than the cartoon version of her. But uh, and it was good to see Will Smith having fun again. <laughs> you know, we've, <laughs> we've seen enough movies where he's not he's not having fun. But Scott, you saw it today, right? Uh, yeah, um, got home from uh, from our showing less than an hour before we started the show. What do you think? <clears throat> um, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I hadn't read a whole lot of the negative reviews. I had just read that there were a lot of negative reviews about it. So that gave me a little bit of, of wariness going into it. Uh, but I, I wanted to go in and have a good time. I wanted to see what a DC extended universe movie looks like when they're actually having fun. 
Which is not what happens in Man of Steel, and it's not what happens in Batman v Superman, considering there was, I think, what one joke in Batman v Superman? <laughs> yeah, well, one intentional joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I thought, well, at some points, the <clears throat> the effects maybe weren't as good as they could have been. Um, other points, that was a, a byproduct of the filmmaking. There was some shaky cam here and there that made things a little difficult to follow, but... Um, as far as the overall style, the aesthetic of the film, I enjoyed it. Um, this is, I'm, I'm, I do not consider this a spoiler, so I'm just going to go ahead and say that at the beginning of the movie, we do have a sequence that introduces the members of the Suicide Squad one by one, and um, with each of those characters, we get um, a quick, uh, a quick hit of information that's put up on the screen, like, you know, name, code name, uh, skills, abilities. Things like that, um, with a, a like a symbol for them, but not a polished wear it on your chest sort of symbol like we saw in Batman v Superman when Bruce was learning about um, the future Justice League. Yeah. You know, these are like like <laughs> the highly tested graphically yeah. designed. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa Court, for doing all our um, <laughs> for doing all of our branding for us. Um, but. Uh, Interestingly designed, uh, fun neon logos um, with all the information going up on the screen, uh, and just the the really vibrant use of color in a lot of points in the movie, especially the title sequence, which you've seen in all the marketing the the yeah. the, the purples and greens, um, those glowing like hot fluorescents. Um, a lot of fun to see that throughout the film. Um, the characters were. Um, I thought fairly well realized some better than others. A few of them got, got a little bit of short shrift. Um, but overall I really enjoyed their individual performances. And I think this is where all these stories that we've read about David Ayer and his directing style by bringing the characters in or bringing the actors in, sorry, and having long discussions with the actors about, about their lives and their, personal histories and what what bothers them and what really gets under their skin and what scares them. And then he would use that during filming. He would like spring some of these personal history bits on them while they're filming to get a more visceral visceral reaction from them. And I thought that was just, you know, a director being really oddball and eccentric. But then to see their performances on the screen, it worked. Yeah, because pretty much every member of the Suicide Squad in this film, as I'm watching the character on screen, I'm feeling that is a dangerously damaged person or that is a tortured person. They somehow, through some type of magic, were able to draw me in emotionally to the characters through their performances in a way that doesn't always happen, especially in superhero movies. Because they're going to be highly polished and market tested. And, you know, this is what's going to appeal to the most people. These felt like characters that they put on, they spent more time developing who the character is supposed to be and let the audience react for themselves. And with a lot of them, as I watched them, I kind of got uncomfortable because you can feel that character's personal history underneath the the scene that's being played. Um, it re- really made it more almost like an interactive feel with the audience and the and the characters. I might be rambling on too much about it, but I I, I love their performances. I thought they, they really hit the nail on the head with a lot of them. Not all of them, but most. Yeah. 
and like I said, I, I didn't think it was the best movie I've ever seen, but it was a really fun movie. I mean, I really had a good time watching this movie. There's a lot of laughs in it. There's some, you know, more serious moments. The, the Joker, I don't want to say that I didn't like, uh, is it Jared Leto? That's his name, right? I, mm-hmm. I don't want to say that I didn't like his performance. It's just, it's so different than anything that we've seen as the Joker before. He kind of reminded me of, I told my wife when we left there, it's like, it's like the Joker was Captain Jack Sparrow. You know, he was, he, he kind of had a very Johnny Depp feel to him. You know, I was like, they might as well have just had Johnny Depp play the part, but I know Johnny Depp's too old for what they were trying to do with him. But, uh, I mean, I, I went with it. I could go with it. You know, you got more of a punk, a punk version of the Joker and everything, but he wasn't maniacal like you've seen, especially in the animated series. You know, he's not, he wasn't constantly, uh, up and and having these huge laughing fits and stuff like that. There there was a lot more brooding moments, a lot more, you know, that kind of stuff. But but I could go with it. And I, I'm sure we'll see him again because I, I think I think he's going to be in the uh, the Batman movie that's coming in a couple of years. Hey, he's he's def- definitely going to be back. Yeah. Um, I, um, I enjoyed it. I don't want to run over John. Sorry. Shut me up, John. Go. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna go now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I was I was gonna ask. All right, so um, Scott, you said you you appreciated the performance. Did you feel that their the portrayal the portrayal in the movie was um, accurate to what you expected from the comics? Uh, some uh, again, some more than others. Um, uh, as far as Deadshot, I've seen so many different uh, portrayals of him in in so many different media that it he becomes one of those characters that it just his characterization fits whatever it is they're going to put him in. I've seen um, animated versions of him in uh, Batman Gotham Knights, in uh, Batman Assault on Arkham, saw him in Smallville, saw him on Arrow, um, and it's you know wildly different each time. So it, it, it's hard to keep up. Uh, so with him, it was essentially, you know, Will Smith is playing uh, a hitman rather than Will Smith is playing Deadshot. And, and I was okay with it because his performance was so charming. Um, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, I didn't know exactly how I expected to see a live-action version of Harley to be portrayed. Uh, but I thought that she she definitely did well with what she had. Um, she made the character um, and sympathetic to a degree. That you, you can see how clearly insane that she is, and you feel bad for her because you know she used to be a fine, upstanding psychologist, and now she is a crazy person yeah. who is um, mercilessly in the thrall of the Joker, and and that's unfortunate for anyone to be in that type of hostage situation. Uh, but she still finds a way to make herself likable at the same time with her, you know, with her, with her smiley perkiness. Yeah. Even in the, the most unusual of circumstances. Um, Croc, I wanted more of, he, he seemed pretty close to what I would have expected from what I've seen in the comics in the animated series. Um, but his was definitely a character, 
um, somewhat like Captain Boomerang, that I think the writers didn't exactly know what they wanted to do with him, and they knew that they weren't going to be the focus of the A-plot, so they were just, you know, helpers on the side. Yeah, uh, some, and oh, some comic lines every now and then, yeah. Yeah, and, and consequently, uh, their character development was less than some of the others. Um, but you know, I still enjoyed him. If they want to bring Adewale back for another Suicide Squad film as Killer Croc, I will just cross my cross my fingers and hope that he gets a bit more focus time because uh, he he was enjoyable enough for me to want to see more of him. Uh, other than that, th- yeah, they they hit most of the characters pretty spot on. I thought their portrayal of uh, uh, the Wall, Amanda Waller, was uh, uh, Viola Davis. I think did did a really fine job. That's uh, a a quieter, colder take on Waller than we might have seen in other media, but um, it, it still was very much in her character. In the animated series, we've seen her be like you know a a strong, um, yeah, impossible to ignore force of nature. She will sweep into a room and get stuff done. Viola Davis, she will just kind of walk into the room and say this is what's going to happen. And then it just happens. That's the, that's the cold command that this characterization had, um, which still with the, that character's history in the comics and and the cartoons, it, it fit quite well. Yeah. I, um, initially wasn't, I guess, thrilled that she was going to be, uh, playing the wall because, there were so few, uh, like, not perfectly model-bodied people in comics that having this, this powerful character who's, you know, overweight but not, like, superhuman overweight. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, not like Blob can lift buildings overweight, which is, you know. Well, d- depending on what comic you're reading. If, if you read Batman Superman with uh, art by Ed McGinnis, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That guy goes to extremes in all of the characterizations that he illustrates in his books. So when Waller shows up, that's like almost an impossibly big person. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think my um, kind of preferred quote unquote is is like the uh, once again the animated series where she's you know she's a bigger woman um, that you might not. Um, initially grasp is as um, unstoppable as she is just as formidable, not necessarily physically. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, but then I remembered that I think she actually voiced her in the animated series. So I got over it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are are you talking about um, Viola Davis? Yeah. Did she not? Uh, She, she might have provided the voice in like maybe uh, a video game or, or an animated movie. But as far as the, the Batman animated series or the Justice League animated series, that was CCH Pounder, the the voicer. Yeah. Well, you know, they did that one animated movie that was basically Suicide Squad that I think it was the Assault on Arkham or something like that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And she she may have been in that. I don't know. Maybe. I can't can't remember. I've confused CCH Pounder and Viola Davis as I often do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, if they had wanted to cast CCH Pounder as, as Waller in the movie, I would have been... 100% 100% in favor of that. If, if for no other reason than to see her, um, uh, you know, on screen portray the character with the voice that we already associate with the character, that would have been fantastic. Um, but regardless, we can, we, we can be absolutely certain that they did better than 
uh, Arrow in casting yes. Amanda Waller. That that just bothered me when they first introduced her character. I said, "That's who you have playing Amanda Waller." What is wrong with you people? Yeah, that was yeah. Is it somebody Cynthia, that I know? That's no, probably what I was more annoyed. <laughs> right. Um, the, yeah, the, yeah. the the actor on Arrow was uh, Cynthia Adai Robinson that portrayed Amanda Waller, and she is about as big around as my wrist. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's not, a, she's not like even skinny. average. She's like supermodel thin. Yeah, like skinny, skinny. Um, like Zoe Saldana, basically. Yeah, 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 something like that. Um, uh, Sean, have you watched um, Spartacus, the the uh, TV series on that was on Stars? I mean, I, I saw a couple of episodes, but I didn't watch it religiously. Okay, so um, from uh, yeah, from uh, the second season and the third season, uh, she took over portraying a character that started in the first season. They they changed actresses, and she took over the role for the the, the second two seasons and she did it very well, but I didn't see her as Waller. So when they cast her on arrow, I was, I was underwhelmed by, by that choice. I much preferred uh, Smallville in casting Pam Greer as the wall who I think she yeah. did. She did a great job on that. They could have, they could have brought her back and I would have been fine. Yeah. I feel like she nailed it. I agree. I also like that. Um, they made it very much part of, what had happened before in Batman v Superman and Man of Steel because um, there was a shot of Superman's funeral. So you know the timeline. You know that it takes place after that. You know, and there's a couple of cameos in there that I'm not going to spoil for John. I don't want to. I don't want to get into all that. But we'll probably have a more spoiler filled episode after he gets to see the the film where we'll talk about it more in depth. But <laughs> but speaking of Will Smith not having fun. <laughs> I, I saw Independence Day Resurgence the other day, and of course he's not in it. That's why he's not having fun. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I guess w- when I criticize movies, I'm a little more optimistic than some people because I never, I don't usually on this show come out and say this is a bad movie. <laughs> Other than when I saw uh, Star Trek Renegades, that was a bad movie. <laughs> Ooh, but, my goodness yeah. gracious! From yeah, from movie news. From movie news, I was the only person that made it through. Um, oh, I, I watched the whole thing, but I will not watch the second one when it comes out. Oh yeah, they're they're still making more, and they just dropped Star Trek, and they're just calling it Renegades. So now you have all these all these Star Trek alums that are coming back, not reprising the roles that they originally played. They so. changed Tuvok. They changed Tuvok's name to like Kuvok or something like that, and and Admiral Chekhov is now just called Admiral. <laughs> You know, that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be bad, but it's horrible. I mean, why would you, why would you hire Sirach Lofton unless you're going to have him play Jake Sisko? If he can't play Jake Sisko, then now you're just stuck with a Sirach Lofton on your set and you don't know what to do with it. <laughs> well, they were already, they were already filming it when the C, when CBS and Paramount came down with the new, uh, guidelines. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that when you watch this, there's going to be a lot of, mouths moving to words they're not saying because they're going to have to go back and, and change the, the audio and stuff like that. It's, 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 it's going to be bad. I may watch it just, I may watch this next one just to laugh at it. Oh, that's absolutely why I'm That's why I watched the first one. 
Rick but, and 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 Richard, they didn't make it twenty minutes into Renegades before yeah. they rage quit. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I stuck it out through the whole thing, just kind of scratching at my eyes the whole time. So, oh, Edward Furlong, why did you put him in this movie? <laughs> why did they all do it if it's that bad? What, well, they why? don't think it's bad. If you go on their if you go on their um, Kickstarter page or whichever one of those uh, pages that they're using to fund it. There's all these people going on there talking about how great the the film was, and I just, I don't see it. It was bad. It and the special effects looked like it was out of a video game, a bad video like a PS2 video game, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I don't even know how much they would have gotten. Maybe they just needed the money that bad. I don't know. But it, it had the original. The first one had uh, check off. You know, Walter Koenig was in it and uh, Tuvok. He was in it, and and some other some other people that weren't Star Trek actors, you know, like Edward Furlong was there. the The second one is supposed to have Ciroc Lofton, like Scott said, and it's also supposed to have uh, Terry Farrell, which she's not even acting anymore. She's coming out of retirement to do this thing. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, she played Dax on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, and then she- uh, Chakotay, Chakotay is going to be in it, and some other and stuff. I- I can't remember if uh, Terry Farrell was coming back to play Dax or or an original character um, before they they changed things for the guidelines. So the same thing with Robert Beltran. I can't remember if they were reprising their roles, but um, well, that I they, mean, Jadzia Dax is dead. You know, she died. In, oh, yeah, that, in that's true. True enough. So yeah, she'd have to play someone else. Yeah. Um, as for Sarah Lofton, um, I think they also got Aaron Eisenberg and the actress who played uh, Molly O'Brien. <laughs> the all baby. three of them, yeah uh, wow yeah yeah the, the 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 o'brien's daughter and yeah and all three of them were coming back to reprise those characters because those are the characters that we want to see more of i want to know what molly went on to do later on no i don't <laughs> no one does and they had gary graham come back he he might have been playing the same character he played in of gods and men but i can't remember he gary graham just comes back and does whatever you know uh, star trek project that they ask him for is hey we're doing a trek thing you want to come he's like yeah <laughs> he'll always be there and i love gary graham i liked him from way back in the days of alien nation on fox but he's putting himself in some in some you know rough piece of business with with the uh, renegades it's it's no good. They also got uh, Robert Picardo uh, to come back as uh, Dr. Zimmerman in Renegades. I don't know if he's going to come back for any of the future installments, though. Yeah, I forgot he was in there. But, but speaking of Star Trek alums uh, coming back, Brent Spiner was back in Independence Day Resurgence. Yep. Sorry, I pulled did... us way off of that. No, Sorry. no, no. It's Sorry. fine. It's fine. I just, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because, like I said, it wasn't a bad movie per se, It was, but it was a bad sequel because Brent Spiner obviously died in the first film but he's back in this playing the same character and they explain it away saying that well he's been in a coma for the last 20 years so he's been in a coma for the last 20 years but when he wakes up he can walk around and talk like he just went to sleep last night you know there it, it, i don't know that was that part was bad um it was basically what you think it's going to be from watching the trailers the aliens are back they have better weapons. We have better weapons because of the alien technology. And now we're going to take Independence Day and we're going to try and turn it into Starship Troopers, which Starship Troopers was a much better movie. 
<laughs> and then we obviously are going to set it up for a third one because at the end of the film they actually say, now we've got to take the fight to them. So the next one's going to be a space movie because they're going to actually go to the alien planet or something like that, I guess. So I, I won't. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say I won't watch the third one, but I won't watch it in theaters, I can tell you that. So. <laughs> I won't watch it happily. I'll watch it in protest. <laughs> yeah. and, and this is coming to us from the guy who who is saying, I made the first Stargate film, and when they adapted that to television, one of the greatest television sci-fi franchises in history, um, you know, it, it stands up there among the greats, but uh, that was a piece of crap, so I'm going to go back and remake my Stargate movie and make the two sequels that I wanted to make after that. And oh, really? So no, no one wants to make see a, that. He's going to remake the first, the first one, and then he's going to make two more? Yeah, he, he's making a, a Stargate trilogy. The first one being a a reboot of his original Stargate movie. Oh wow! Well, I mean, why don't you? If you want to do that, just make this make the next two. <laughs> just make yeah, just make that's weird to me. Yeah. It's just I, a, oh, well. he can we live in the age of reboots, young. I guess. So <laughs> my my guess is he wouldn't be able to convince um, Kurt Russell and David Spader to come back and make sequels to that original movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with recasting roles as long as it's done well and it's, uh, you know, not not some kind of stupid recast. You know, pick somebody that can actually play the part well. Um, I'm okay with that. But you know, now nowadays they don't want to do that. They just want to reboot the entire thing. But yeah, well, it, it's. It's Roland Emmerich, so we can't really trust him to make any <laughs> decent decisions when it comes to filmmaking. He is... I and many other people give Michael Bay a whole lot of flack because he makes films where things blow up and the story doesn't matter. Those are his movies, especially Transformers movies. Robots move around the screen looking like liquid metal because they are so hyper-detailed that you can't tell what's going on on the screen. Things go boom, and then you get credits at the end of it. And that's a Michael Bay film. Yeah. But for whatever reason, people just, they want to focus all their attention on him and not focus attention on Roland Emmerich, who also makes a lot of things blow up. He loves making um, um, global landmarks go boom. And his stories and his films are nothing but crap. The scripts are horrible. The performances are uninspired. The plots make no sense. But hey, the Statue of Liberty fell down. So we got a, we got a winner here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stargate is quite possibly the best thing that he has ever made. And even that had its issues, but it gets retroactive credit for spawning a wonderful 10 season show, five season spinoff and a two season spinoff after that. Yeah. Independence Day is one of those movies that the, the original one is one of those movies that in hindsight is not as good as you remember it when you saw it. Cause I think when, we, when I saw it, we were just getting into that, that era of the, the huge summer blockbuster that's got all the marketing around it. And McDonald's has all the cups and you've got to collect them and, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. And, and it had all these big name actors in it. So everybody goes to see it and it's, you know, huge sold out shows. And, uh, and then we were promised, a sequel that probably should have come out two or three years later and then never happened. And 20 years later, they're trying to catch back up with that. And it's, you know, like my son and my daughter, my son's about the age now that I would, 
than I was when I saw the first Independence Day, and he doesn't care anything about the new one because it just it's not it doesn't grab you the way that the original did. But so we talked about uh, something that John hasn't seen. So now we'll talk about something that Scott hasn't seen. Well, so, we just did because I haven't seen. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah, Independence yeah. I, Day. John, you haven't seen Independence Day yet either, have you? The new one. Um, I take mild issue with the word yet. But yes, I'm not. <laughs> okay. So basically, yeah. that's, that's why I just wanted to do a quick little, you know, Probably I just wanted to hit box. it for a second. But um, Stranger Things on Netflix, and I won't go into a whole lot of detail with this because I know Hai Chan is one of our uh, co-hosts that comes on every now and then. Uh, she really likes this, and I wanted to give her a chance to talk about it when she comes back. But uh, Stranger Things is, is this retro horror suspense series that's on Netflix right now and it borrows a lot of the tropes from the 80s and just to give you a quick overview of the plot there's four boys of about 11 or 12 and they're the classic Dungeons and Dragons playing kids that ride their bicycles everywhere and one of the boys disappears and almost instantly this little girl shows up and she's got these special abilities and the show has telekinesis it has alternate dimensions secret experiments monsters it's a really good show, and it's only eight episodes. I watched the whole thing in three viewings, but it pulls a lot of tropes from show from movies like E.T., Firestarter, The Goonies, Stand By Me, you know that kind of stuff. Um, the, the list can be enormous, you know. But even the opening credits had this blood red neon text overlaid with this synth music that instantly made me feel like I was watching an old horror movie from when I was a kid and stuff. And John, I know you've, you've seen it, right? I have. Um, yeah, for me, the, like your, your synth music that you're talking about, that is one of the best parts of the show because, uh, it's so many films when they set things in the eighties, it's almost like with a wink and a nod, and hey, you remember Rubik's cubes? Yeah, there's a Rubik's cube on his desk. So yeah, hey, we're in the eighties. <laughs> but this is like it's this the plot would be just as good if you filmed it today. But setting it in the eighties um, lets them do all the little touches. Like the it's it's not just like the main theme is synth music or the opening theme. It's like it's throughout the show. It is woven into the show. The the um, the parents who really don't have a clue what their kids are doing, the um, like you said, the the adventurous, not quite teens, and oh, I like a girl, and what do I do? And you know, all this all this stuff that you see in these um, '80s films and shows is there, but it's handled with, uh, and even some of like the little, the cheesy lines and and even the dialogue, but it's. It is masterful. I, I can't, I can't speak highly enough about it because it would, but it would have been so easy for them to mess up by either going too cheesy or, as seems to be the trend, you know, making it, you know, updating it for modern time. Yeah, the, the turtles are gritty and the, the Transformers are all greasy with spark plugs sticking out and. All the Muppets drink and cuss and maybe do some pots. <laughs> that got although I, I, although I did Muppet show, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, no, I mean, it, it is, you know, and the worst thing about those shows was the special effects. And these the special effects are as good as they are in any show that you would see today. 
Um, you know, the, it's, it, it was great. And I, and I, I'm, I too am looking forward to when, uh, Haichin is able to talk about it because, um, we're both old and she's not. And so like, <laughs> I, I'm really curious as to how that feeling of nostalgia, because she loves it. And I'm, I'm curious as to how that feeling of nostalgia translates to a time that I'm, I expect she can barely remember. You know, I'm, I'm not sure how much. 80 shows she watched, she watched, but or how many of the jokes that she gets. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to having her on the show for that too. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good, and I and after I saw it, I saw a uh, trailer at the theater where they were advertising it, and I turned to my daughter and I said, "I want to watch that again." <laughs> you know, so, so I may end up watching the series. Like I said, it's only eight episodes, so it's 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 not like it's a yeah, you could do it ever. Yeah, in a weekend so. marathon. Uh, so, so you're saying it's something that I should see? Yeah, it's really. I, I, in my <laughs> opinion, it's really good. In my opinion, it's, it's really okay. Good. I guess if you I, like things that are awesome. But yeah, in my opinion, it's really good. So. I would say if you if you and I actually don't kick me out of the club, but I'm I don't think I've ever seen the Goonies all the way through. Wow, um, I think I, you said I, that once I before. Would, I yeah. would kick you out of the club, but the the fact that my wife also hasn't seen it means I I can't kick. I have to let you stay. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, you got to yeah, see I, it before the like, sequel comes out because you know the sequel is just going to be awesome. Yeah, because all these Goonie characters as adults that can't go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, someone can take me to the theater where Goonies 2 is playing, put a ticket in my hand and stand me in front of the door and say, okay, there you go, Goonies 2. And I will say, there's no Goonies 2. <laughs> <laughs> there yeah, are you, four lights! Everyone listening to this show will get that joke. That, that was that was so exactly right. There's nothing to be said for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. go ahead. Were you gonna say something else, Sean? Well, no, I was gonna say like you know you mentioned you know a list of shows. You know I would throw X Files in there. I'll oh throw, yeah, obviously yeah. 90s. I, if you you know remember fondly those things, and if you're a general fan of sci-fi, and I and I think of it as more of I mean I guess it is a horror. But I think of it more as a sci-fi uh, show. Um, yeah, I would say it's, it is at least worth, you know, checking out. I would give it, I would recommend at least the first three episodes. That's my general rule yeah. for any kind of show that I'm, you know, that I'm interested in. Give it three episodes to prove itself. And after that, if you don't like it, you know, you've, you've, you've served your time. You know, you're free to go. But yeah, I, I would definitely say give it three episodes, and you'll probably know after the first or second if you if you're if you're into it or not. Um, yeah, like I said, for me again, it, it is it is it wraps me in the warm blanket of my '80s youth, um, <laughs> and I and I smell up and get to watch a monster. It was it was really good. I enjoyed it. Well, I, I think I'm going to give it a shot. I just finished um, uh, within the past week. Um, watching all 10 seasons of Smallville. Uh, I'd I'd only gotten through, I want to say six seasons I got through initially. 
and uh, then I, I fell off the train. I had been borrowing the DVDs from my best friend, and um, I wasn't able to get the next season from him. And then um, not long after that, he passed away. So I didn't really want to watch Smallville for a while after that. But uh, I recently realized, you know, I never finished that series. So I started from the beginning and went all the way through it. All the way through it. Uh, some points, very painful. Other points, really enjoyed it. There was a lot of fun to be had with that show. Um, and now that I'm done with it, I've moved on to reading the Smallville comic books that pick up from where the series ended. And they, they call it Smallville Season 11. In I the didn't comic. know they did that. So is, mm-hmm. he, is he Superman in that? Yes, he is. Oh, okay. I think he'd have to be because he, I mean, he was Superman in the last episode. I mean, at the very last scene of the last episode, he was Superman, so. Yep, he, he put on the suit at the end, and, uh, then they just kind of end the series with him finally having the suit, even though he's already fought all the major enemies that Superman ever fought, so what's left for him to do? Ah, it's alright, just go with it. Um, so they, they pick up six months after the end of the series, um, when they start the comic. And uh, they're they're just telling more stories. They introduce uh, Batman into the Smallville universe um, about ten issues in, I think. So I, so far, it's a lot of fun. But I don't need to watch that on TV. I can just read that anywhere. So yeah. I am I am now in need of a new show to watch. So Stranger Things will probably get slotted in. Um, I was about to begin a rewatch of the uh, oh what was it that uh, I want to say nineteen ninety five. Um, sci-fi television series Space Above and Beyond. Anyone remember that? Absolutely. Yeah, really I remember. Yeah. It was really good. From the creator uh, Chris Carter, right? Creator of uh, X-Files. Um, you know, it might have been. I can't remember who created that one. Um, Trust me. I know, I know Chris Carter did, did Millennium, but uh, if he did Space Above and Beyond, then kudos to him because I remember enjoying what I saw, but I never saw the whole thing. I know I'm well, going to be disappointed. I'm- because I know that the first and only season ends on a major cliffhanger, and it's going to be forever unresolved. But, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to watch it anyway. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, we've recently started watching, because Limitless is on Netflix now, and uh, same kind of thing, first and apparently going to be the only season. And did I it haven't get canceled? Watched. I think it did. Okay. I think it did. Um, That's a bummer. I kind of like that show. I could be wrong, but yeah, I think it did. <laughs> According, you know, if the internet is to be believed. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I didn't watch it when it was like airing live because I was all about my, uh, um, person of interest. Not that they're mutually exclusive, which is also on Netflix. There you go. If you, if you're looking for, uh, another good sci-fi show, I think that went five times. Yeah, five Not or count- six, something like that. Yeah, I think this this last season that just ended on the air was like twelve episodes, I think. So uh, you'll be a season behind, but the the rest of them are streaming on Netflix. So I, I would, if you haven't watched that, you can add that one to your list. Okay. Well, we have just a couple of minutes before uh, we're going to wrap up, but so I've got two more subjects that I was going to kind of talk about, and I'll let you guys decide which one that I actually. Mentioned. Do you want to know what I thought of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, or do you want to know what I thought of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows? I could probably predict the answer to both, so I'll <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to Scott. Okay. Um, uh, 
as as much as I like Stephen Amell and I want to support everything that he does, <laughs> I can't support uh, I can't support Ninja Turtles. I, this reboot, no, I can't do it. I I grew up with the originals, uh, not just the cartoon and not just the first live action movie, but uh, the original comics where they all wore red bandanas and they would just kill the dickens out of everyone that they came across um it's not it's not some fantastic movie if you saw the first ninja turtles uh reboot that they did uh, a couple of years ago that one was the one where they were trying to change a lot of stuff they were trying to make it newer and gritty and all this kind of stuff this one they kind of decided that what the fans wanted was the old ninja turtles so they kind of took what they did in the first one and changed things around and made it more like the cartoon because the the characters while they still look like they did in the original in that first film they act more like they did in the cartoon and of course Casey Jones is there and they they even introduced Krang and the Technodrome and all that into this universe and everything yet so don't go see it in the theater i saw it at the dollar theater with my daughter my daughter last week Wait for it to come out on DVD or on demand or something like that. But if you like the original cartoon of the Ninja Turtles, you might find some stuff that's entertaining about this. But other than that, you know, it's not wonderful. It's just something to watch. <laughs> so, so yeah, let's see. Hey, I don't think I'm ever going to see it. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my uh, wife. My wife took her son to see the first one and the second one, and I dodged both of those, and I was okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first one, I didn't go see it in the theater. I saw it when it came on TV, and it was better than what I was afraid was going to happen because the original stories that they were coming out with was that they were going to turn the turtles into aliens, and they weren't going to be mutants anymore. They were just going to call them Ninja Turtles and not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, and all that kind of stuff. But they went back and decided not to do that. And we got kind of a reboot that had a lot of things changed from what we were used to. This is kind of going back and changing some of the stuff back. You know, Bebop and Rocksteady are in this film. And Bebop and Rocksteady look like they just stepped right out of the cartoon. They look like Bebop and Rocksteady. They didn't really act like Bebop and Rocksteady. Because <laughs> I remember them... I remember them fighting all the time. Weren't they always fighting each other all the time, always arguing with each other? In this, yes. they were constantly giving each other high fives and say, my man, all that kind of stuff, you know. So, Well, in, in, in the original cartoon, they were an old married couple, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Though I am curious about about Harry Potter. Okay. I know I'm not going to read it, so I am curious about it. So I'll, I'll start off w- with a question. The book, is it it's written in script form? Like it's it was originally a play and then they adapted it to a book. Is it just the script or did yeah. they adapt it to a novel? It is the okay, the play came out last week in London and the day after the play premiered, they put out the rehearsal script as a book. It's not written in novel form, it's written in script form with all the stage directions and everything. So it's it's just the script. But obviously Harry Potter fans have been waiting for something for, you know, what, 10 years, something like that. And the play is only in London. So if you live over here, you're not going to see it for a while. I think they're going to, they're going to do it in New York in a couple of years, 
but not a lot of people are going to go to New York just to watch that play. So a lot of people, this is the only way that they're going to get the story is to read the script. So um, I read it this week. It's the story is about Harry when he's in his late thirties up until he's a, he's about 40. I think they, they cover about three different years in the, in the play. He's got three kids. They're all in Hogwarts. His middle son is having some issues being the son of the famous Harry Potter. So in the story, his son and the son of Draco Malfoy go on an adventure. Uh, they they want to go back in time to the Triwizard Tournament from the Goblet of Fire and save Cedric Diggory from being killed by Voldemort. That's the plot. And I thought that there was there were times that I felt like uh, Rowling was kind of manipulating the story so that she could include some of the classic Harry Potter characters like Snape and Moaning Myrtle and things like that. But overall, I thought that it was a really good story, and Harry Potter fans are going to love it. It's a quick read. It's 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 only uh, maybe 250 pages, something like. It's not like the 800 page novels that she's used to writing. Um, I would love to see it on stage because some of the effects that are described in the book, I would love to see how they would do it on stage like that. But I may never see it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. Yeah, I, I recommend it. If, if you're a Harry Potter fan, you'll like it. I, I also read uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Oh, you did one? Okay. I did. Um, and, yeah, I, I agree. It, it's, you know... I mean, if you're a Harry Potter fan, like, I, there aren't very many, like, casual fans. Like, you're... <laughs> yeah. Like, you're like, not a lot of people are going to go to New York to see this. But I'm like, yes, they will. They absolutely will. People will get in their broken-down car and drive from Schenectady to 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 go see um, uh, a new Harry Potter play, but yeah, this one is actually good. It was a little disorienting, I guess, because you know we read all of these long books about these characters, and you know, in in a in a certain style, in, in uh, Rowling style. So reading a play where you know you'll get a scene that might just be a page long, right? Where Oh, it's in this room, and these two people have a conversation. And then next scene, where you're used to all of the detail, and and you know, not that you know, I don't have an imagination, but it is, it's, it's a little jarring to to not have that voice, that familiar voice, when you're reading, um, you know, a story about these people who've always that's always been told in that voice. Um, that aside, I would say the plot, the story, the characters are very much in line with what. Um, a Harry Potter fan would expect, um, you know, and I, I am, I am, I am waiting for the inevitable novelization form of this to come out so I can get all of that back, all that rich, de- rich detail back. Um, but yeah, just my one minute review, um, which is probably unnecessary because I'm sure if you're a Harry Potter fan, it's been out for a week, you've already read it, but if you haven't, <laughs> yes, it is worth reading. Yeah, don't don't listen to Rowling because she says that she's not ever going to put it in novel form. She says she's not ever going to make a movie out of it. But she also said that she was never going to make this. You know, when 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 the last uh, book came out, she said that's it. I'm not going to do anything else that's Harry Potter related. And then you know she's doing this and she's got this uh, film coming out in the fall, The Fantastic Beast and Where to Find right. It. Right. I mean, but it's it's basically done. Like you know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. You you really just need a competent writer who who knows how she writes yeah 
the story is written. The you know the dialogue's there. Just just you know just flush it out. Yeah. I'm sorry, flesh it out. Don't flush it out. <laughs> Good book. Don't flush it out. Yeah. <laughs> I I can see uh, eventually in the fullness of time when Rowling uh, finally learns how to uh, loosen her grip on Harry Potter. Not to say that she you know has a stranglehold on it, but when she learns to you know let it go and say it doesn't have to be just me anymore then people will take the script for The Cursed Child. They will adapt it into a novel. They will cast Daniel Radcliffe as older Harry Potter, and they will make a movie based on this one, and they will try to spin that into a new Harry Potter series. Essentially, Harry Potter the Next Generation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they will I try was, to make was... a new series of books and or movies following these new lead characters. Right, and 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 for the record, um, Jack she wrote the story, but Jack Thorne actually wrote like wrote it out in script form. Mm-hmm. So she's already kind of begun that process of, you know, um, like you said, loosening the reins a little bit on on the property and the rights, and you know, okay, well, other people can help tell the Harry Potter story. So I think that process, I think this is kind of the first big step in that process. So yeah, I agree. It, it's it's. To me, it's not a question of if; it's just a question of when. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, you can't. You know, she's notorious for leaking information or leaking information, but coming out with things that weren't in the books and saying that they were. Like she, she came out a few years ago and said that Dumbledore was gay. I was like, well, that wasn't on the page. <laughs> you know, you're just telling us that now. Which I mean, I don't have a problem with having a gay character in your book or whatever, but if it wasn't in the book. Don't come out after the series is completely written and tell me, oh yeah, he was gay. See, I disagree. I like that because if it's to me, it's kind of the same mindset that lets um, Hermione be, you know, a black chick on stage. If it's if if you're the writer, you know, not if you're just you know some general fanboy who read it and has their uh, whatever conspiracy theories, but if you're the writer and you're telling me this was in your head when you wrote this character. Even if you didn't write this particular aspect, if you're telling me that informed how you portrayed her or what that character did, you're kind of the only person I would say who kind of gets to do that. Yeah, yeah, so I can see I'm, that. I just... I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it because then you can reread it. It's like, oh, I understand your motivation now better than I did before with this new information. Yeah, I can understand that. I just didn't think nothing, nothing that I can remember, which I'd have to go back and read all seven books again, but nothing that I can remember did Dumbledore's sexuality have anything to do with it. But that's, I don't know. Yeah, I, I found that announcement to be a bit unnecessary because it didn't uh, answer any lingering questions that were left from the books. Um, it, it clearly was not important to the story or else it would have been in there. So what's the point in telling us something like that later? Um, other than just, you know, this, I, I want you to know more about my thought process that I had when I was writing it, which is fine. But if it's, if it's an aspect of the character that's important enough to tell us, then, you know, tell me in a story. Don't, well, don't think... tell me in like, in like a tweet or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think, um, and I don't remember the character's name, but um, in the last book, or the, like, like well, the one right before he died, but Rita Skeeter, who was like the gossip columnist, um, she kind of would make rumors to stuff, and you'd never really find out a lot about Dumbledore's past. You find out about some of the things that he did, 
And it's like, well, he, he was going to leave the country with his friend, but he never did, and blah, blah, blah. And if in the context of that friend being someone he was actually in love with, it does kind of put a different – it makes things make more sense. Yeah. Right, see, and, and that's that's the sort of thing that I would like. Um yeah, I, I don't see myself going back and rereading the whole series, but if I did go back and read book six and got to the part where um, Rita is writing a story about how he was about to leave the country with, with a friend of his and they decided not to, now with this new information, go back and read that scene. It's like, oh, they were going to run away to get that's so sweet, and they didn't. Oh, that's so sad. I was, then then that, <laughs> that enriches the experience of, of, yeah. of the book. So that's a good thing. I like that. Yeah. I think, that, I think that's kind of the only plot-wise takeaway that I got from it. And, and, and I, I obviously I don't remember the details, uh, but I do think that I had just read the, or reread that part of the book when the announcement was made. I was like, oh, okay, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yeah. Okay, well, before I close up shop, I wanted to take a minute and tell the listeners about a new project that I'm working on. I'm doing a second podcast called The Prime Direction, and this podcast is about fans of Star Trek because my theory is that Star Trek fans are very passionate about what they love and that the various TV series and films have shaped who they are over the years. So every episode I talk with somebody who's been a fan of Star Trek their whole life and we talk about what they love and what they hate about the show and what it's done to make their lives better. And uh, Scott was on the show a couple weeks back. Rick's been on the show. John's going to be on at some point. Woo. Okay. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking for fans from all walks of life to be on that show. So if you're a Star Trek fan and you want to be on the show, just send me an email at mail at cosmicpotato.com and we'll work out a time for you to be interviewed. But the show is part of the Cosmic Potato uh, network, but it's not on the same feed. So you'll have to subscribe to it separately or you can find all the episodes on my website at cosmicpotato.com. It's also on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Scott, you want to say anything about the Next Time Podcast? Uh, well, Next Time, the Comic Book Television Prediction Podcast is um, a fairly recent project of mine. Um, uh, the next main episode to come out will be Episode 5. Um, working through it as quick as I can. It's not always as easy as you think doing these podcasts. But um, my intent, when, when the show really gets underway, when the new season of television begins, I'm going to be... Um, rather than reviewing the episode that just aired during the past week, I'm going to make my guesses based on what just aired this past week on what is going to happen in the next episode and even further down the road in the season. Uh, my, my theories and guesses and predictions for where these stories are going to go for um, as many of the major comic book television series as I can cover. This will include Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Gotham, Lucifer. Uh, I'm, I just missed Preacher because they wrapped their first season, but I'll grab the second season whenever that premieres. Uh, and probably some other series along the way that I'm forgetting about. Uh, DC's Powerless, when that begins, I'll probably be covering that. Um, not The Walking Dead, sorry folks, but that show's been running for too long and I haven't been watching and I cannot go back and try to catch up on all that. <laughs> but it's good. It's going to be week-to-week predictions for what's going to happen on comic book uh, television shows with the occasional special episode to talk about other things. Uh, for example, I've already released a bonus episode reviewing uh, Batman the Killing Joke, 
when it was released in theaters uh, about what a week ago, two weeks ago, something like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> currently editing an episode reviewing Star Trek Beyond because there are Star Trek comic books, so it counts. Um, and at some point, as soon as possible, I will do a bonus episode reviewing Suicide Squad. So it's comic book TVs and movies and predictions and 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 laughs and jokes. Hopefully, laughs. I might not be funny. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, that can. <laughs> That can be found. Um, it is uh, available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or you can get it uh, directly from my website, planetrisecreative.com slash podcasts. We'll have all the episodes that I've released so far. Um, coming soon to iTunes. All righty. John and I can probably help you with that Walking Dead issue. <laughs> we probably <laughs> and, got some and, theories. <laughs> and hey, when when there's a new season, if you guys want to like you know record a quick five minute prediction for what's going to happen next, I will plug that in. Okay. Or just write yeah. it and send it to me, and I will read what you write. I good. I put that in my first episode for Walking Dead or other shows that I don't cover. Any listeners who want to contribute and put in their predictions, then that will get time on the show. Yeah, I think the new season starts in October. So yeah, October twenty third. Yeah. Okay. Not that I'm counting. I just happen, <laughs> I just happen to know. Well, as far as uh, Cosmic Potato, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just do a keyword search for us, and you'll find us. And of course, you can email us at the previously mentioned mail at cosmicpotato.com. Make sure that wherever you're getting the show from, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever, please leave us a review so that we can help other people find the show. And if you want to find more podcasts that I have to offer, just visit the website at CosmicPotato.com. Scott, thanks for being here. It was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for having me. I hope I didn't uh, monopolize too much of the conversations. No, no. Um, <laughs> but I, I had a great time on Prime Direction, and um, I've been waiting for an opportunity to get in on a, on a good topic that uh, that lights my fire on Cosmic Potato. And sure enough, Star Trek will do it. <laughs> <laughs> and John, pleasure as always. Indeed. And, uh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> and, uh, I ain't thank gonna you. be witty, just indeed. That's it. <laughs> thank you, everyone that's listening, because if it weren't for you, we'd just be sitting here talking to ourselves. So until next time, take care of yourselves and bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>